all of you tonight. Praise the Lord. Glad that you are here. And Glenn will tell you more about all of that in a minute. Praise the Lord. Are you ready tonight to receive all that God has for you? On Wednesday nights now for a number of uh, sessions, we have been talking on the subject of making room for the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, making room for the Holy Ghost is consciously choosing to put Him in the highest place in our lives, both individually and corporately as a church. It's being led by the Spirit and obeying Him in all areas of our life. It's obeying His specific commands and following His guidance. To make room for the Spirit of God in our life means allowing Him to manifest in our services. That's something that applies for us as a church. And to do so through His anointing, which is His manifested presence, and also to do so through the manifestation of His gifts, be they ministry gifts like the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, or even if they are the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, three gifts of power, three gifts of utterance, and three gifts of revelation. When we make room for the Holy Spirit, we make room for these manifestations. They are a part of what He does and what He wants to do. And of course, as we've said a number of times, we'll say it again tonight, to make room for the Holy Ghost in our lives is to lay our plans and preconceived ideas aside so that we may yield to His. In the words of John the Baptist, it is me decreasing and Him increasing. And I have found that the more I decrease and the more He increases in my life, the better my life is. I have nothing to fear from yielding to the Lord. I have nothing to be afraid of by obeying Him, no matter what He asks me to do. Our first example of this was 2 Kings chapter 4, the woman from Shunem, uh, the Shunemite woman, we call her. And, of course, we found that through making room for the Holy Spirit, because she made literally a room for Elisha the prophet, but we see the, the typology. She, in making that room for Elisha, was making room for the anointing that was upon his life. And in doing that, her greatest heart's desire was granted to her. I don't believe this would have happened had she not made this effort and this attempt to be a blessing to God's servant and thereby make room for not only him but for the anointing that's upon his life. And that's what we always have to do when we deal with servants of the Lord. We have to look beyond personality, beyond the natural. We've got to look at the gifts and callings of God that are there if we really want to get the most out of what God wants to do. And then later on, when the child died, her greatest need was met in his resurrection. And of course, lo and behold, that resurrection took place in that room that she had made for the anointing and for the presence of God. So her greatest heart's desire was met and her greatest need was met. So I ask you this question tonight again. What's your greatest desire? What is it you want more than anything else? Question number two, what do you need? What is your greatest need in life? And then, of course, the third question, which has to be asked, are you making room for the Holy Spirit? Are you really making room for the Holy Spirit? Are you growing in your relationship and your walk with the Lord? 
Last week we looked at the need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We covered a number of things. We went down just a little list. Number one, we said it's important if we're going to be sensitive to the Spirit to attend to the Word. It's the language of God. The Bible is the language of God, like musicians, engineers, mechanics, doctors, lawyers, and any other professional operates within the parameters of a certain language they use, words that are especially used and mean certain things to them. So it is in the realm of the Spirit. If we're going to operate spiritually and be sensitive to God, we have to learn the language of God. And where do we find that language? Well, it's what we call the Bible. It's the language of God. Every time you hear it, you're hearing God's language. You're hearing His Word. And so it's important that we know the language of God. It's important to become acquainted with the Bible. Then we said, number two, to keep our minds uncluttered. Because you see, God doesn't deal with us through the mind. God deals with us in our spirit. God is not a mind. He has one, of course. But He is not a mind. The Bible says He is a spirit. And so there are many voices in the world, many, many things that will occupy your time if you let it. There are things that will uh, take your mind in various places on different little journeys if you allow it to be so. But we have been made as humans by God to only be able to listen to one voice at a time. That's by design. That happened before the fall. That's the way we operate. And so that means we can only listen to one voice at a time. It's very important that we listen to the right voice. And that also means that when we listen to human voices, that we are listening to people who listen to God. Long time ago, the Lord spoke to me and told me not to listen to people who don't listen to Him. That will serve you very well because there are many voices in the world. So we ask the question here, how much time are you spending with unprofitable stuff? That's a good word for it, stuff. You know, how much time are you spending with television, internet, radio, secular music, and with people who don't listen to God? It's easy to get addicted to these kinds of things if we're not careful. And so we're warned, and we're, we're actually uh, more than warned, we are admonished in the uh, Word of God in Proverbs chapter 4 that we need to guard our hearts. We have to put a guard over them. It's very important what we expose ourselves to. Because if we expose our heart to the wrong things, it would be like having the old-time conventional camera and you open the shutter and you expose the film to whatever's there. You just take a picture of whatever is there. And I'm sure that some of you who are old enough that you use those kinds of cameras in your life, you may have taken some pictures of a dashboard or the floor or the ceiling or whatever uh, and and the camera didn't know what you wanted it to take a picture of. It only took a picture of what you opened the shutter for it to see. Your spirit is much the same way. It's just not about intentions. That, that's, intentions are very important. Attitudes are extremely important. But it is about what you actually expose your spirit man to. So make a daily appointment with God and make sure that you do some listening as well as talking. We, we covered this last week. You can listen to that message if you'd like. Then we said it's important to keep ourselves, our total self, spirit, soul, and body clean. We need to walk in holiness. Amos 5.15 says that 
And it doesn't say it in these exact words, but if you read the verse, you'll see that what I'm saying to you is true. God's definition of holiness is loving what he loves and hating what he hates. God sets boundaries around our lives based on his love for us and his desire to see us prosper and his desire to see us in full fellowship with him. And so we said it's important to live by our convictions. Don't get hung up on legalism. Legalism is somebody else telling you what to do. And it's frustrating to try to live by what other people uh, try to tell us what they think we ought to do. Uh, people can help us. People can give us good information. But I've found that nobody really lives consistently a life except based on what they are convinced of. And those things you're convinced of are what we call convictions. Now there are obvious spiritual boundaries and some are more subtle and, and some are very personal. Maybe there are certain things that uh, you just don't do because you just have a strong um, conviction about it. Maybe there's somebody else who doesn't feel the same way. Well, if it's non-essential, then okay. But on certain essential things that the Bible just says plainly that this is wrong or that's wrong or this is right, that's right, you need to do this or you don't need to do that. There's no compromise there. We do what the Word says. And um, I'll use this example. Uh, the example of tithing is uh, an issue that a lot of people you know, struggle with in the beginnings of their financial journey with the Lord. A lot of people struggle with that. And uh, many of you in here tonight are like me. You can testify to the fact of its blessings and you would not want to not do that. But maybe for us, uh, many of us, perhaps there was a time when it was a little bit of a struggle. And maybe you were wondering, is this really necessary? But you know, if you will follow the convictions of your heart and follow the truths of the word long enough, what you'll find is when God leads you to do something, even if it seems tough in the beginning, if you stay with it, you will be so glad you did. You'll actually become so convicted or convinced of it that you wouldn't want to do it any other way. I know that's true for Glenn and me. We would not even consider not tithing because it's just worked too well. Amen. So allow yourself um, uh, to, to, uh, to follow your convictions. Don't, don't give in to just wanting always the easy way out. You know, if success was completely easy, then everybody would be successful. There's a reason why not everybody's successful, and it's not because God's making that choice. It's because they make the choice. Then we said, next key was stay connected with spiritual people. People that are led by and who know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27, 17. And when iron sharpens iron, there's friction, and friction produces heat. It's not always fun. But I would encourage you, don't just hang out with your peers. Don't just listen to people who know just what you know or know less than you know. Be stretched by people who know more, who have done more, who are able to do more. Don't be intimidated by their success, but be inspired to reach to the next level in your own life. Seek out elders seek out mentors who are already doing what you want to do people who have already had some successes in their lives and allow yourself to be stretched 
Allow yourself to be stretched. I think about a story that I heard told that um, um, a person went to see uh, a person that I consider a great uh, man of God, a great spiritual leader, who's now with the Lord, Brother Kenneth Hagin. And he went and he actually made an appointment. Now, Brother Hagin didn't see everybody that just casually wanted to see him. He was uh, very careful about it because he had a limited amount of time. But he agreed to see this young minister. And the minister was having some problems. And so Brother Hagin agreed to see him so that he could, his desire was to be able to help him. And uh, the young man went in and he just spent all the time talking about his problem. He didn't give Brother Hagin any time, hardly at all, to respond. So Brother Hagin's basically his only response to the man was, a man has in life what he says, no more and no less. And he said that several times, and that's about all that he could get in. Finally, the time was up, the guy left. Now, my point in telling the story is, if we're not careful, we can do too much of the talking and not enough of the listening. So when you do make connections with spiritual people, find out what makes them tick. Amen. Allow yourself to be stretched and learn to follow their faith. Now, thankfully, we don't all have to dress like Brother Hagin dressed in the 70s. We're not here tonight in leisure suits and white shoes. And that's okay. So it's not about natural things. It's about the things of the Spirit. Amen. I didn't say this last time, I don't think, <clears throat> but I will throw this out. Pray in tongues more. Pray more than a little. Because praying in tongues activates and exercises our spirit. It helps to develop and to position us so that we can hear from God and be led. The more you pray in tongues and flow in the things of the Spirit in your prayer life, the more sensitive you're going to be to the Holy Spirit when He wants to speak to you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now, also another thing is worship and praise throughout the day. Worship and praise God. Vocalize your praise when you walk through the house, when you wake up in the morning, as you uh, go to bed at night. Make sure that you're spending time praising the Lord because Psalm 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So you're actually creating an atmosphere for God to come in and live among you and with you uh, in a powerful way when you begin to praise the Lord. And then this one I said in, uh, last time, but we will just quickly reiterate it. Be quick to obey and be quick to repent. Be quick to obey and quick to repent. God wants to bless you. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. I want to be one of those people that he finds that he can bless. Amen. Now all that's free. All that's just free. Amen. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about spiritual manifestations. And particularly, I want to, in the beginning, emphasize the necessity of desire and hunger for the things of the Spirit. And also the desire and the hunger for the knowledge about the things of the Spirit. Jesus made a statement in Matthew chapter 5. And verse number 6, that's familiar to all of us. He said, blessed are they 
that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Jesus said. Well, I think we could easily see that this same principle would apply to anything from the righteous God. Things of the Spirit are righteous things. And so I would tell you tonight that the greatest manifestations of the Spirit come to those who make room for Him through and by their own hunger and thirst for spiritual things. I've been around people that weren't so hungry for the things of the Spirit. I'm not saying they aren't saved. I'm not saying that they don't, in a sense, love the Lord and respect the Lord. But you can usually tell when people are really hungry spiritually. You can tell. It, it shows up in the way they attend church. It shows up in the way they uh, spend time in prayer. It shows up in the way that they give themselves to the Word of God to learn and to receive and to grow in the things of the Spirit. There are a lot of telltale signs and signals that uh, reveal a hunger and a thirst. And of course, we, we know, or at least we're trying to learn, that if we want the move of the Spirit of God, I'm talking about a great move of the Spirit that transcends anything we can do on our own. Transcends just music. It transcends just songs. It transcends just showing up. I mean that when you come into a, a place like this, there should be the presence of the Lord that you can sense. People should know God is in the room. They should know that His presence is here. Well, that does not happen in places where there's no hunger or thirst after those things. And there are churches that really don't have any hunger or thirst for the things of God. They go through the motions, kind of the same thing, week after week after week, doing things the same way year after year after year. And, of course, there is something to be said that's good about certain traditions, and there's nothing wrong with good traditions. But a lot of people are stuck in a rut of tradition. They're stuck in a rut of doing the same thing the same way all the time. And you know what a rut is, don't you? It's just a shallow grave. And so we never want to get into the rut of, um, of commonality. We don't ever want to take for granted the presence of God. We want to always hunger and thirst after righteousness. And as I was meditating and thinking about this concept of hungering after God, I realized that appetites are born out of taste. Amen. Appetites are born out of taste. Now I'm going to give away how old I am, and I'm going to tell you a story that you probably think is unbelievable. And those of you who are under 30, you may think this is an exaggeration, but it's absolutely true. <clears throat> and it's about me, and also about Glenna as well. Now we grew up you know, in, in the mountains, in the coal fields in West Virginia, we uh, lived a pretty sheltered life. And we're not spring chickens. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not kids anymore. So I remember in the early 80s, I don't remember the exact year, it must have been about 1982 or 81 or 82, we went out to Arizona 
to visit a missions conference that a pastor who had went out there many years before from the same part of the country where we grew up and lived. And he and his wife had went out there and they started a church. And um, they were really big into missions. And, and so in this particular conference, the church was full. People were coming. There were people from various parts of the world. Uh, one missionary, uh, Brother Derwin knows what I'm talking about, Mel Tari, he was there in the meeting speaking. And so there was a couple that was there, and they wanted to, uh, I guess, we must have looked lonely or something, I don't know, uh, but they, they, they said, well, we want to just take you all out, and we're going to have lunch and show you around. Well, we were in Yuma, Arizona. Anybody know where Yuma is? That's right on the border. You're just, you're just minutes away from, you know, Mexico, uh, the Mexican border. And so they said, have you ever been to Mexico? We said, no, no. So we went over, and we crossed the border, and, uh, they said, and this, this is the strange part. We went to Mexico, and they said, do you like Chinese food? <laughs> I look back on that, and I'm thinking, you know, something's wrong with that picture. So they said, and I said, and here's, here's what I'm really trying to get to. I said, I don't know. I've never had it. Now, I am 20-something years old. And I have never in my life tasted Chinese food. And so that day, we went to Mexico and had Chinese food. <laughs> and ever since, I've had, as my, my first grandson told his uh, kindergarten teacher years ago, a right good appetite <laughs> for, for Chinese food. You see, that would have never happened had I never tasted it. Now, it was years after that that I ever had Mexican food. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when pizza was a, became a thing. Because in my part of the world, we were pinto beans and fried potatoes and cornbread people. Amen. And we still have an appetite for that. So all I'm saying is that part of developing an appetite is getting to taste of something. And that's where we have a responsibility, church, all of us, not just the praise team or not just the preacher, whoever's ministering today, but all of us, is that we create an atmosphere with our worship and our praise and our expectation of the move of God and the things of God so that when people come into this house, they taste and see that the Lord is good. They sense and know the presence of God. And once people get an appetite for a move of God, how many of you know nothing else satisfies? I mean, once you get full of the Holy Ghost and you're in meetings where the power of God flows and you're in a place where you're getting constant uh, revelation knowledge from the Word of God, you're being fed the Word of God, not just the milk but the meat too, and you are in that place where the presence of God comes in amongst the people of God, then you can never be satisfied where that isn't. Amen. Hallelujah. And so... When we talk about this subject of making room for the Holy Ghost, we're talking about getting to the place where people can actually taste and see the presence of God. They can know the presence of God. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, and we're going to see what the Apostle Paul says about this thing of desiring uh, and how the part that desire plays in making room for the Holy Ghost. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Follow after charity, I'm reading from the King James, or love, we know that that's what that means, and desire spiritual gifts. Now, you know that spirit, uh, the word gifts is italicized, meaning the translators added the word to help us better understand our English Bible. And it is helpful, but it's not in the original Greek. Uh, it originally just says, follow after love and desire spirituals. Spirituals, plural, meaning there's more than one spiritual. There are things, plural, pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit. So desire is one of the keys. Desiring the things of the Spirit. But, as we just pointed out, people don't know or they won't desire what they don't know anything about. And that's why gifts of the Spirit don't generally operate. As a matter of fact, they just don't operate much at all where there's never any teaching about them. Our mentors in the faith, our great fathers in the faith, many of them now gone on to be with the Lord, they taught us that you don't have a move or a flow of the Spirit of God where gifts of the Spirit are concerned just by praying for them. Now, it's important that we pray for them, and it's important that we do this, but in addition to praying about them, you've got to be taught about them. What are they? How do they operate? How do we begin to flow in those areas? How, how does a church grow? How does a church have you know, any number of people. I'm not, I'm not just talking about like 10,000 people or 20,000 people, but I mean, even a congregation is no bigger than ours. How, does, how do you have order and how do you maintain a flow of the Spirit? Well, one of the things that must be done is these things have to be taught about. We've got to know what they are. And they, of course, have various uses and they are given to the church for uh, the various things that they will do. Now, I want to ask you, if you will, now to turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Zechariah, chapter 10, and verse number 1. Zechariah, chapter 10, and verse 1. Uh, the best help I can give you, it's on page 1124 <laughs> in my Bible. Zechariah, chapter 10, and verse 1. Now, the prophet here is giving instruction to the people of God. We, we look back as New Testament believers on a passage like this and realize this was a word from the Lord to the people of God in that day, but because God's word was spoken so that it could be written, so that it could be spoken again, so that it could be taught, so it could be believed, so it would produce faith, we know that this word has a principle in it that applies for us today. And so he says, ask Ye of the Lord reign in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. So we have several things going on. We have number one, the aspect of prayer, petition, asking of the Lord. We have the element of timing, 
the season, the time of the latter rain. We have that element of the latter rain, and we know, uh, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Joel spoke of the latter rain, and that was picked up by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he said, this is that. What was he talking about? He was talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You know, Peter knew something about how to make room for the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so when we look at this phrase, latter rain, we're, we understand that the typology here the, is the aspect of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the last days. And Peter said that that began on the day of Pentecost. So in one sense of speaking, we've been in the last days now for 2,000 years, which would mean we must surely be in the last of the last days. Amen. So this season for the latter rain, and what, would, what is the latter rain? Well, it's the outpouring of the Spirit. Now, when the Spirit falls like rain, when the Spirit manifests, He manifests all that He is and all that He has, at least to the degree that people will believe for it, expect it, and allow it. Now, I know we have friends in the body of Christ, especially our Calvinist friends, who they don't like to hear anybody say that people would allow God to do anything. But the fact is, God does not get to do everything He wants to do everywhere He wants to do it. The Holy Ghost is the consummate gentleman. You're, he's never going to force you to obey Him. He's never going to force you to yield to Him. He's never going to force you to believe in Him, but He will always be ready to help you and manifest to you and bless you if you will cooperate with Him. So part of what we're teaching all these Wednesday nights, and now we get to this point tonight about making room for the Holy Ghost, is how do we get there? How do we cooperate with God so that He can really do what He wants to do? So part of this is the outpouring of the Spirit in the time or the season of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. That's lightning. That's something, you know, in the natural, that's something we see. Now we know what happens after lightning. Thunder. Which is something that we hear. And then comes the showers. Which is something that we feel or we sense. And after that, he says, comes the grass in the field or the harvest. The harvest. Now, what kind of harvest would you think that God is most interested in here in a verse like this one? Well, it would be the harvest of people, wouldn't it? It would be the men and women, the boys and the girls, the people of the earth, the great latter harvest coming into the kingdom. That would be, for many of us, that would be some of our kinfolks getting saved or backsliders coming back to God. For, for many of us, that would involve people's lives being changed. It would involve great blessing for them. But I want you to notice it all begins by asking. Asking. Jesus taught us, you know, in his teaching... Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
Now the word for ask there is a continuous present tense verb. And it says basically ask and keep on asking. Now it doesn't mean that we keep doing that because God is uninterested. He's bored. He's asleep. Uh, he's not paying attention. And so we have to just keep on asking until we aggravate God to the place of doing something. Now this is not a picture of a little bratty kid trying to wear their parents down. Thank you for your enthusiasm. All of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not what this is a picture of. This is a picture of someone asking, and according to Jesus' teaching, they receive, and so they ask again, and they receive again, and they ask again, and they receive again. And so they, in essence, are asking and keep on asking as they receive and keep on receiving. And so when God asks us or commands us, encourages us, whatever word we might would be proper, when he tells us to ask, it's because he wants to respond. He's not playing games with us. He's not, you know, he's not trying to show us, you know, we're not God and he is and, you know, he's the boss and we're not. I mean, we know that is true, but that's not what this is about. It's about God desiring that somebody on the earth would ask him. Great healing preacher and teacher Lillian B. Yeomans, who was a medical doctor before she left the practice of medicine to just preach and teach the word, and she was well known for her healing ministry. She'd been with the Lord now many, many years, but she wrote some wonderful books about healing. If you get a hold of any of them, you're, you'll be blessed. Her name is Lillian B. Yeomans, Y-O-E-M-A-N-S. I think you can actually get some of her stuff on Amazon, so it would bless you. Um, but anyway... She said, God has tied himself irrevocably to man. Now, I might be not necessarily quoting word for word, but this is the gist of what she said. God has irrevocably tied himself to man in the accomplishment of his will on the earth. God uses people. And that's one of the reasons it's so important for us to learn how to make room for the Holy Ghost. Because there are things in your family and things in your life and perhaps things in your business or on your job that are not going to change until you do what's necessary for the Holy Ghost to move into that situation. We keep on waiting on other people to do stuff too much. You don't have to be in a service with 10,000 people to get healed. Nothing wrong with going to a service with 10,000 people. That's great. But, but we sometimes always put these things off. Well, when this happens, when so-and-so comes, when, you know, in this series of meetings I'm going to receive, what's wrong with today? What about right now? You see, what we need to learn to do is make room for the Holy Ghost. Now, why would God tie himself irrevocably to man in the accomplishment of his purpose on the earth. Because from the very beginning, even before the fall, that was his plan. The idea of a redeemed man, of course, Adam wasn't redeemed uh, before the fall. He didn't need to be, but we're redeemed now, restored to fellowship with God. But the idea of a man 
being involved in the purposes of God on the earth is not new. It's always been that way. That's always been the will of God. And so there are many things that we would call supernatural that God would just think is business as usual that will not happen unless he finds men and women that will cooperate with him. My question tonight to you and to myself is, will we be those people? Will we as a church yield in that way so that God's power can manifest, his gifts can flow? Now, we've seen and do see uh, a flow of spiritual gifts and things operating. I know that there are people in the congregation that you've had God speak to you. There are supernatural things happen in your life individually. It's not, you know, and everything doesn't happen on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or within the confines of a church service. I know that. But we have not seen everything that God wants us to see. And we're, we're working. We really are. We're working to make adjustments so that we can get to that place where God can freely do all that he wants to do. And so what I, and I'm running out of time. I see the clock back there. So what I really want to leave you with tonight is I would like to ask you to join with me and others who already are doing this to ask God for this rain to fall. For this outpouring of the Spirit. It's all right if I don't get to preach my message. It's all right if it gets cut off in the middle. It's all right if we don't get to sing all the songs that were planned to be sung. It's all right even to stay over if it's God. I mean, the presence of God can even cause you to not be hungry for a while. Amen. The presence of God can wake you up. But you see, this is not manufactured stuff. This is not manipulation. This is not uh, church cheerleading. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not programs that, you know, we sit up at night trying to think of another way to put another name on some other program so that we can maybe get somebody involved or somebody else to do something. No, we're talking about a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. That he uses people just like you and me to accomplish not only in the church collectively, but even in your lives individually and in your families and in your homes. And the starting place is desire. You'll never ask for what you really don't desire. I never, nobody has ever heard me go to a restaurant and ask for the snails. <laughs> I have no desire for them. You might say, well, but you know, you don't have an appetite for them because you've never tasted them. Thank you. I'll pass. I've tasted a lot of other stuff. I've got enough tastes. That's, that's my problem. Uh, so, so, no, I, you know, there are certain things I'm not going to ask for. But this is something that we should want. So we're going to take a moment. If you guys would come up here just for a moment. And so there's the alarm. It's time to quit. It's time to quit. I heard that. 